What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonson, and this is a foiling series episode. Today's guest is Zane Schweitzer. Um, Zane has been on the Paddleboard podcast, a podcast that I did uh, in for the sport of paddle surfing a number of years ago. He was also um, one of the featured athletes athletes in the Progression Project, which has turned into this whole series of everything that I'm doing now. But we did a film called Progression Project Current State on the paddle surfing uh, world, and Zane was featured in that film. Uh, he holds 15 world championship titles. He's a two-time Ultimate Waterman. He's an author. Um, and I believe that Zane is just... Um, one of those inspirational dudes that if you spend some time with him, you walk away wanting to uh, to be a better you, which is sounds pretty lame, but it's true. If you spend time with Zane, you know it. Um, this episode is uh, it's a long one. It's about an hour and a half long, and we get pretty deep into the um, the sport of the you know obviously the sport of foiling, but but Zane's insights. He's been he's been doing a lot of coaching. So number one, if you want to work with Zane. Um, check him out online, um, zaneschweitzer.com. He'll have links there to the camps that they do on Maui. And he's been doing a lot of foil coaching. And there's a difference between getting good at something and then explaining to other folks how to get good at it. This is something that I've, you know, spent a lot of time with world-class class athletes in the, in the surf world. And I've done a lot of surf coaching. And just being highly talented in a sport doesn't mean that you can articulate what you're doing. It's a different skill set. Sometimes it's actually more difficult for someone who's at a high level to articulate what they're doing because the skill set that you're working on, they passed so long ago. The difference though with someone like Zane is that Zane is also a coach. And so he has that high level skill set, but he's also able to articulate um, the process and the feelings uh, as a good coach would. And so that's, that's two very different skill sets. And when those two things come together, uh, it's, it's a pretty cool thing to be able to, to learn from guys like Zane. Um, so in this episode, uh, he helps to break down a lot of, you know, very nuanced technique in the foiling, uh, game. Um, things like the difference in pumping a high aspect wing and a, kind of a more normal type wing, the feelings between the two, what you're striving to do between the two, how um, a more stiff setup will feel versus a setup with a little bit more flex in it when you want each of those. So it's a, uh, it's a good uh, episode. I think that these episodes have just been getting better and better as I've become uh, better. I'm, you know, I'm going through all this with you guys right now, right? Like I started getting into foiling in January. I've really committed to it around March. I've gone from, you know, the first episode with James Casey, just flying down the line and, and doing some turns to now I'm doing, you know, surfing prone boards and stand up boards and connecting waves and, you know, starting to do some better turns and things. And what that's allowed me to do as a host here is to ask more intelligent, detailed questions and to be able to understand what a guest is saying and to be able to break that down more. So I feel like every episode has gotten better. I hope that that continues as a trend. I thought that the Kane uh, um, DeWild episode was just loaded with information. Uh, I've gone back through that one and I've gotten a ton of email and feedback 
especially like the, the tip on how to balance your wing. If you haven't heard that, go listen to the Kane show. Um, and I believe that this uh, show with Zane is as loaded, if not possibly more loaded, um, you know, and, and part of that's because I've had, you know, as I get better, I have better questions and, and, uh, and Zane's an incredible guest. So uh, before we jump in, a huge congratulations to Zane. Uh, Zane and, and Kimmy, his longtime girlfriend, got engaged this week. I've actually held the show a couple of days so that the uh, Instagram and, and all of the, the, the love and support for those folks um, kind of has its course before before we put this out. So congrats, Zane. Super stoked for you, man. And I'm sure you guys will have an insanely cool, amazing uh, future life coming up. So so good on you. I'm super stoked that you did the show. And yeah. All right. If you guys have any questions, uh, shoot them to me through the progressionproject.com website. It's probably the best way. Or shoot me a DM on Instagram. I'm the.progression.project on Instagram. I'll give it a follow. Uh, if you are a manufacturer, you want me to ride some gear and talk about it, I'd love to. I'm testing as much as I possibly can right now. It's very cost prohibitive, so I'm kind of a wing in, wing out situation right now. But uh, any hookups, uh, anything would be super appreciated. I'd love to test the gear and give a give an overview and, and share the love back for for sharing the love with me. So that would be rad. And um, yeah, appreciate um, just everything. So you guys have fun. Uh, enjoy the foiling just mind-blowing. Oh, last note, I just got done with a 10-day Costa Rica trip, which is where we used to live. It was insane. And, you know, now I'm in North Florida. And the difference between foiling or surfing and and North Florida and surfing in Costa Rica is is probably 100 to 1. It might be more than that. I don't know. I don't want to over-exaggerate, but it's at least 100 to 1 as far as the fun factor in surfing. Uh, This is kind of my first real foil trip back since you know, I've been really just head headlong into the, the sport of foiling. And it's crazy how much it levels the playing field, you know, like a two foot day in Florida, you know, arguably as much fun as, you know, a head high overhead day in Costa Rica, depending on the ways that you're surfing. So for that, I'm incredibly grateful. I'm grateful to all the folks that, uh, that have started this sport. That's given me this whole new, uh, lease on Stoke. So, so that's awesome. And, um, yeah, hope you guys are having a great one and, Here's the show of Zane Schweitzer. Zane, thanks for coming on the show, man. How you been? Hey, Mahalo, man. Great to be talking to you on the podcast. And, man, it's a beautiful morning in Hawaii. Aloha from Maui, everyone. Yeah, what do you got going on today? What's a normal day in Zane's life on Maui look like these days? Well, I'm going through my, my normal morning routine right now. I usually get up... Uh, around six around sunrise and do some journaling and make some coffee. And if I'm home, usually take a little stroll around the garden, around the family farm and see what fresh fruit are ready to be picked. And so living off for breakfast, I usually, I like to just keep it simple and eat a bunch of papaya and orange and whatever else is growing on the property. And it gets me off to a good start for the day. Right on, man. You gonna get in the water today? I'm a, I'm a smoothie addict, man. <laughs> I make smoothies like probably twice a day. <laughs> I feel like that's half your Instagram feed is you at smoothie shops or talking about smoothies. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Um, all right. Well, this is the foiling series of the Progression Project podcast. So let's dive in with foiling. Um, talk about like your first experiences in, in it. I, I'm guessing it's super early on with your windsurfing background and your family pedigree. But how were you exposed to foiling at the beginning? Yeah, well, um, the sport, I guess, popped up on my radar when I was probably about 12 years old when I was in the Motu Fiji. Um, my my uncle, my god, my godfather, actually, my legal godfather is Brett Lickle. And we were doing a family trip out in the Motu with the Waltz family. Uh, you guys might have heard of Mike Waltz. And Brett Lickle, they're some of the early strapped crew for towing out at Jaws. And my dad was a part of that crew as well. And, and so they were all best friends growing up. And anyway, we ended up doing a trip to Namotu together when I was young with uh, all of our families together, the Waltzes, the Lickles, the Schweitzers, and um, the Col- Dave Colamo is there too. And I remember Dave and Brett were playing around on a um, – hydrofoil and it was one of those rush randall the original hydrofoil and so it was this really long razor sharp thin had this g10 custom wing on it for surfing jaws and i remember i'd uh all the uncles were trying to get me to go out and give it a try and i of course jumped on it right away i was pretty excited and um one of the first things i remember when I'm thinking back on it is being locked, being in these giant snowboard boots that were probably size 10 or 12 or something. And I have like these tiny little 10 year old feet and legs that are just floating around in these boots. And, um, so that, that made it a little hard for me, but I remember getting up a few times and feeling the sensation of flying and definitely having a, a few big wipeouts. And, you know, it was a fun thing and I was stoked but didn't think anything of it again. So flash forward 10 years <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, when Alex Aguera started to develop these new, these new foils where you don't need a jet ski and you don't need a boat or whatever to pull you into a giant wave to keep you going on it and flying all of a sudden it changed from this high speed, big wave, you know, novelty sport to something that's accessible to catch waves without the assistance of a, of an engine. And that also opened up the possibility, I think originally for downwind. So that's what a lot of the testing that I, I got welcomed into the GoFoil testing team. And early on when, you know, they were first bringing out those before, way before they had any, you know, signs of, of production we were just kind of farting around on these on these foils on a cut down 12-6 board we cut a 12-6 board down to like a 10-foot board and then we cut it down to an eight-foot board and we literally had a hacksaw on the boat and we we're just cutting feet off the nose of this board until we got down to like eight feet and we we're like this is still too much board and <laughs> and it was it was pretty classic um so uh, you know, even before that, though, um, I saw Alex starting to develop this, and I was just so enthralled by it that it was just on my on my mind so much. You know, when Alex told me about it, 
And I just couldn't, it, like testing wasn't enough for me. Like I wanted more, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't wait for the next time I could go foil on a, on a go foil with Alex. So what I did was I reached out to one of my, uh, uh, one of my dad's buddies that still had one of those first generation, um, Rush Randall foils. And I'm like, Hey, can I buy your old foil for me? He's like, dude, I haven't used this thing in so many years. Take it. I end up getting this Rush Randall foil and a board for 300 bucks. And I, I, I mount the, I mounted the Rush Randall foil onto my seven, four sup. And I'm so excited. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go kill it. I'm on a small board. Yeah, let's go rock and roll. Put it into the waves of the day note, which is known as out. And oh my God, it felt like playing scissors. It felt like play, playing soccer with scissors in both hands. <laughs> it was very dangerous. Um, <laughs> that foil is not built for going under 15 miles an hour and on small waves. And I remember getting so beat up, like, man, this is uh, a lot harder than I remember it to be. <laughs> I ended up, post- I ended up posting uh, a photo about it. I know I shared the photo, a photo with uh, Alex Figuera. I'm like, Hey, uh, I had a pretty rough time today. I'm the rush Randall. And I sh- showed him a screenshot of the foil going straight into my chest, like the full death foil roll. And, um, Alex, Alex is like, dude, what are you doing? That thing's not made for that. And then sure enough, like that week, Alex calls me up and we get to go for a test session. And, and it was my first time doing it in the waves, you know, not like, uh, in, in the downwind. And, um, I remember my first wave I attempted to paddle in with, uh, the early go foil prototype. I flew from the outside all the way to the beach. Like, Oh yeah, that's how it's supposed to feel. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was a pretty big, uh, that was a pretty big moment, um, that I probably won't forget, you know, where almost like the first wave ride, you know, your first, um, my first controlled flight, you know, I remember just, I remember being prepared for this, you know, out of control, um, you know, foil similar to what I was using before with the, with the rough Randall with no straps, you know, just on a sup. And then I got onto the early go foil and it was just so nice, so easy and started to, you know, play around with, um, you know, a little bit of pumping. And then shortly after that realized, wow, we could have a lot of fun without a wave. We could be pumping back out to the ocean. And, um, that got me really excited. I was, I used I loved being able to just catch a wave, ride it all the way in and then pump straight back out to the next. And, you know, this was, this was probably, I want to say like five, years ago what is it it's like almost 29 and end of 2019 yeah this was like 2016 2015 i believe we were doing this testing with go with alex and um it's crazy how far it's come since then it's still changing so much and you know there's there's more windows of opportunity being opened up with the sport with every new design and and all these different shapes of foils. And now with these high aspect wings that are coming out, it's like, you know, it's, it's crazy, you know, go pumping around with not even a ripple in sight, just jumping off the beach with the foil, like a skimboard and pumping for 20 minutes. 
with no stop, just just pumping in flat water. And I don't know anyone think, but you who's uh, pumping for twenty minutes though, Zane. <laughs> there's a few guys for sure. You know, there's uh yeah, Kane DeWild here on yep. Maui is one of them. Then there's another guy named Nathan, a little blonde kid. Yep. I think he's from South Africa. He's he's an animal. I want to get him on, around on the show, too. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm loving it, man. I just you got should. my first... They're cool, they're cool guys. Uh, yeah, this is my first show since I've been playing around with... I just got the 210 Unifoil. I think it's the Hyper is what the, the name of the foil is, the model. Uh, and it's just... It's madness. I mean, I've gone from, like, probably connecting, like, three to four, maybe five waves per combo... And this morning, it's like no waves out back, and it was probably like seven, eight waves. I mean, it immediately is that much more efficient. It took me about three sessions to learn the difference in how you pump it, because I feel like it's a very different style of pumping, like a high-aspect wing. Totally. Um, but may- maybe you could talk through that. I bet there's a lot of guys out there that would like to understand the difference in how a – and now it's the first time I've been able to kind of articulate it, because I've I felt it now. But maybe you can articulate the difference yeah. between flying more of like a normal wing – and then these high aspect ratio wings and the difference in turning, the difference in pumping. Because I bet everybody right now is oh. watching those videos of Derekama and Kane and you at that last race. And everybody's freaking on it. But but it's a lot different to fly in. Like, how, how do you describe that difference? Totally. I mean, um, every foil that's out there has a different rhythm, has a different, um, a different style that it likes to fly with. Um, and I like to compare it to a, riding a horse i don't know if, if have you ever read a horse rode a horse eric yeah yeah so i mean when you're when you're getting started you're doing something called a trot and it's pretty rough and bouncy and it's kind of this up and down pop 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 and then all of a sudden the horse starts to beat up a little more and then it just starts galloping and when it goes from trotting to galloping it goes from this really uncomfortable bouncing kind of rough ride to this really fluid uh motion you know where you where the um it it starts to feel go from feeling really rough to really smooth and i like to compare those two different styles the trotting and galloping to the foil style of pumping a a high aspect wing which would be the trotting and pumping a um a single scoop right or you have one that's just a single, um, one single scoop, like the classic original GoFoil Kai and Eva. Um, that's more of a gallop. That's a hundred percent accurate, the re- man. That, that is, that feels, I would never have thought about it that way, but that feels like a perfect analogy. That is, that's classic, dude. Good work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks. You know, I've not only been enjoying this personally for, for many years, but I've been, uh, really have been really finding a lot of joy in sharing this stoke a lot. So talking about and explaining the different styles and, and sharing these, uh, you know, how to ride these foils has been something I've been pretty passionate about for, for the last, you know, solid four years, teaching over, over 400, over 500 people probably now how to hide the foil, getting them on the water with the foil. And so, um, since you mentioned that, yeah, you- this, Give a give a little overview of what you do out there on Maui and the clinics that you run. And I've I've spent a lot of time with Zane, and so I know 
number one, how inspirational. It's just good to be around Zane. Like if you get the time, if you get the chance to just hang out with Zane, you'll walk away a better person for it because you'll just be all motivated and inspired. Um, but also, he, as you just saw in that last analogy, he's really good at articulating things. He helped me a lot with my stand-up surfing um, during like the progression project, um, just sitting around talking about technique and breaking down video and stuff. He actually stayed a couple of days late, hung out with a buddy of mine and I for a few days after, the, after we filmed that whole thing. Um, so if you get the chance to work with Zane, it's great, but Zane, give a little overview of, you know, what you're doing out there, the, uh, the way people can get involved, you know, learn from you. Oh yeah. Thanks, Eric. And man, that was such a fun trip in Costa Rica. I'm, we got to talk about that while we're on this show too, <laughs> but yeah, man, teaching, teaching has been uh, something that's been taking a lot of pride in, you know, um, it's been something that has always been around me. You know, my, my dad's an 18 time world champion. My mom's a world champion windsurfer and my grandfather invented the sport of windsurfing. So as you could, could imagine, it's, it's part of the family, you know, um, it's part of the family history. Not growing up. I remember being at the beach all the time. My parents windsurfing with their friends and, and then their parents bringing their kid, uh, my friend's, my, excuse my parents' friends bringing their kids to the beach and then I'd be teaching them how to windsurf. And so as a young kid sharing these sports that bring joy to our life, um, I realized, wow, this could also bring a lot of stoke into other people's life learning how to do this, man. They could, you know, be introduced to the world of the ocean. And so um, early on, my parents encouraged me to uh, teach kids' clinics when I was on the junior world tour. So I started traveling on the junior world tour with Connor Baxter at the age of 12 years old. And at that time we were on the windsurf world tour. And so we were focusing most of our time back when we were like, you know, before we were teenagers on windsurfing and surfing. And so we were going all over Europe and Asia, you know, as these young kids with our team chaperone and, and uh, showing up to these windsurf events on the days that uh, we were on lay days or off days, we would take the other kids windsurfing and teach them how to windsurf. And sure enough, stand-up paddling came around the corner when I was about 14, 15 years old. Sven Rasmussen started to be some of the first people making production sup boards. And then we would roll up to these windsurf events with subs. And we'd be teaching stand-up paddle before the wind came up and then having fun during the windsurf event. And then when the wind died later in the day, all the windsurfers, Connor and I would go back out stand-up paddling. And it turned into this really fun thing where we, Connor and I were like, we felt like we were bringing this sport to the world. Like there was so many times where we were these young kids rolling up to Japan and no one has ever seen a stand-up paddle board or a paddle. And it's like, and we're teaching all the, all the people around and all the kids. And it was a lot of fun. And, you know, that turned into the insane Supergrams, which is today my nonprofit that I've taught over, over 3000 kids all from all around the world, introducing them to ocean sport. Uh, most of which being stand up paddling. Um, and, you know, I take so much pride in being able to, you know, share and the opportunity that was given to me as a young child with the kids I come across on my travels. And, um, you know, more, more than my world titles, I, I take a lot of pride in, 
being able to leave a positive footprint with the places I go. And, you know, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to balance, you know, um, focusing hundred percent on, you know, your goals, but also making sure to leave a positive name for your family and, uh, you know, make a positive ripple effect in the community that you visit. And so that's kind of been what I've learned about being a teacher is that, Hey, there's a lot more than just improving yourself. Like it, you, it's, it's really rewarding to help improve others and, and to see that, you know, we could be valued in other communities, you know, and not just looked at as another visitor coming to take resources or take waves and leave. And so that's been a big, I've been having so much fun with that, you know, over the last 15 years or so, not just rolling up to an event, hoping to win and showing up prepared and confident to win, but also showing up prepared to go talk at some schools and, and share the stoke with some kids and invite them to invite the kids to come to the beach for a kid's clinic, teaching them how to swim or surf or, or paddle or windsurf. And, um, I think that's, a you know, it's, uh, been a lot of fun, you know, and also with our, you know, we, my mom and I and my auntie, we, uh, we brought about the stand up for the cure after we found out my, my auntie was diagnosed with breast, breast cancer. We're at the dinner table after we find out about that. And, you know, we're like, Hey, well, what a, you know, we, we take, we've been taking our auntie out, you know, for paddle sessions the, that week that we found out she had cancer. And, you know, all of a sudden she's all sad and she wouldn't talk to us and, we break, she finally breaks free and tells us, um, Oh, well, I've been diagnosed with cancer and we're, we're sitting at the table like, damn, are you, what are we going to do? And then we thought, well, why don't we keep on paddling? Cause when we're on the water, you're happy. And it was amazing how much, you know, our auntie found this freedom being on the water, forgetting about, everything that's going on with her family her friends her, her medical visits. And, and my mom was like, we got to do something for all the other women and families out there feeling the same way. And we came up and then I jumped in and said, Hey, well, I'll teach the stand-up paddle lessons and flash forward a year and a half. We had the, our first annual stand-up to the cure event in 2012. And, um, uh, you know, we, we ended up breaking the Guinness Book World Record for the largest stand-up paddle lesson ever taught. We were, Brandon Rose and I taught over a thousand people at one time how to stand-up paddle. That's awesome. And a lot of, most, all those people being affected by cancer, either their family or friends have been affected or them personally being affected. And so, you know, then, then all of a sudden I, I started to become really aware of the health and wellness side of this this sport of stand-up paddling you know because it's definitely not as extreme as let's say surfing and windsurfing it can be most definitely but it's a sport that's so accessible to anyone and everyone you know and I, I like to say whether you're a dog a cat a boy or a girl and grandpa or a grandson you know you could you could get up and have fun on a, on a paddleboard and uh oh man so think lately you know i like to think of myself as ju just as much of a, as a teacher 
as a professional athlete and, and a world champion walker. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, and if anyone's, you know, headed out towards towards Maui and wants to learn to foil, I know Zane's got clinics going on out there and you guys can hook up with him. Um, probably the best way. What's the best way to get a hold of you if someone wants to do that through Instagram? Yeah, totally. I, I have a newsletter for all my um all my students, my tribe of, of students. So if you guys want to jump in on my newsletter where I update with tips, uh, monthly tips and monthly videos, rider of the month, uh I also share my schedule of events and as well my uh, coaching uh, events and clinic opportunities. So you could jump on the newsletter by going to zaneschweitzer.com and uh, contacting me through an email on the website. And when you compose an email, it will give an option, a checkbox, whether you want to go jump on the newsletter. And then uh, I also have a clinic page on Instagram. I'm Zane Clinics. And we, we just started that page this year and starting to kind of, you know, get our Instagram following going a bit. So we'd love, love a, a follow on there. And then our family and I, we have a, actually a Waterman retreat. And we've been getting a lot of people coming from all over the world to come and get a piece of the Waterman lifestyle. And so on our family property in Lahaina on Maui, we have three different surf bungalows we call them where we have three different like guest house small guest houses and uh we do uh two to six day intensive waterman retreats and when i say intensive it's intensive as the group wants it to be but (laughs) but if it was up to me we'd be in the water most of the day (laughs) and (laughs) and so we try and give uh you know a taste of the Hawaiian lifestyle to our students that come for these waterman retreats. So if you want to learn more about our waterman retreats, uh, you can check out MauiSportsAdventures.com. And we have photos of our guest house and what we offer. And, you know, we focus of course on uh, hydrofoil and stand up paddle, windsurf, height surf, and then try to also give, uh, give a taste of the culture as well inviting our, our students to, you know, take part in community volunteer programs within the area where they could learn about, you know, um, the responsibilities of, 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 a, of a Hawaiian in our community. And I think that's something that most people don't get a chance to experience when they come to Hawaii. Cause it's so easy to get lost in the resort life. So yeah. not only being it, bringing up the skills on the water, we like to, you know, make people feel like they're a part of a family in Hawaii and, so uh, that's been that's been a blast, and I hope we have a chance to host you guys. Uh, and Eric, dude, man, we got to get you out here, dude. Actually, you know what? We were just we're doing a trip this week. We're actually going to Nosara this week, and we were talking about places to go. And I mentioned um, maybe going to Hawaii. And Sarah goes, "Doesn't Zane have a surf camp out there?" I didn't realize that you guys had bungalows and stuff. That would have been sick. Um, yeah, Sarah there you that. go, man. We got to <laughs> got to host you guys. We'll do it. We'll do it. That would get be a lot of fun. Foil action in. Hell yeah. Um, hey, let's go back to the difference between the high aspect and low aspect wings. I kind of cut you off there when you were talking about trotting versus galloping. Yeah, I think yep, I know yep. where you're going with that point, but please keep um, elaborating on that because I think that's so important. Like I understand intuitively the difference in feel between the two, kind of like that almost like pump ramp for um, like the, yeah. the more normal wings. And then the higher aspect wings, I, it's almost like a bounce. I feel like I'm bouncing right at the yeah, top of my mask. Exactly. And Kane helped me understand exactly. that a little bit. I, I messaged with him a little bit in the last week 
And uh, yeah, you stay really high and you just kind of bounce. Does that feel right to you? Yeah, totally. And I was, I was kind of hoping we could go back to this. I'm sure the people who haven't actually felt the sensation are thinking, what is Zane talking about? Galloping yeah. and trotting on the water. <laughs> but yeah, so the trot um, on a high aspect wing is almost like we're over, um, we're over our body erect a little more. We're standing straight up and down, feet a little closer together, and we're doing this bounce that's more so like the calves just and the uh, the knees just doing this this hinging and this bouncing. Yeah, my, right? my calves that, are sore just, after riding this wing. You know, usually it's my quads that oh, are yeah. sore, and my calves are sore now. Oh man, I've I've been introducing a lot of calf raises into my training regimen since <laughs> foiling. <laughs> But yeah, so the, the, now the, as opposed to the gallop, we're on uh, what I like to call a single scoop foil, like the original foil Kai that first came onto the market, right? And that's, um, that's more of like a full body uh, motion. You're really putting your full body into effect. If you visualize a horse galloping, you could see that they lead with their nose. The first thing that they're leading with their nose, the nose drives up and drives down and the whole body behind it and under it is following that motion. And so when I get, when I'm on a single scoop foil pumping, it's, I like to think of a gallop where I'm putting my head into it and I'm putting my hands into it and I'm really projecting myself up and forward and driving down and forward. And so on, I start to feel a lot more like I'm holding myself in front of, uh, in front of, like over the nose a bit more than on the trot. Um, I feel like I'm jumping I forward. Every, I feel like on a normal exactly. foil, I feel like I'm almost like jumping to the next spot I want to be and the board's coming with me. And then on the high aspect wing, I just kind of feel like I'm just, yeah, just, just bouncing at the very top Straight of the Straight up and down bounce. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. more back foot. And, you know, if, yeah, totally, totally. And, it's uh, every foil has a little bit different of them, but I think in general, that's it's a it kind of follows follows through, you know. Um, so I like to say, give yourself time to feel your foil and feel the pressure on each side of the wing, you know, as you drive up, releasing that pressure, you know, as you were saying, jumping to that next point, you know, feel that pressure on the bottom. Uh-oh. Zane, you there? We just broke up. All right. We're back on. Um, so you were talking about bouncing, releasing that pressure, feeling the wings come up. That's something that I felt a lot with the high aspect wing is that it really wants to go side to side on me. Like I really feel a lot more, you'd think because it was a wider wing that it would feel more stable. And to me, it does not feel more stable, especially in pumping and chop. Now, it's been pretty choppy when I've been surfing lately, but it really feels like those wingtips catch chop and it kind of tilts the board back and forth. You feel that too? Interesting. What, what wing are you, have you been using? I'm using the, it's, it's the, the same design as the uh, Signature Albatross 210. It is the Unifoil Hyper 210. Um, and it's got a lot of okay. flex. It's a flexy, it's a flexy wing setup, the whole thing. And so maybe that's it. I think that's probably it, what you're feeling. Um, cause the only time I've ever felt like a wobble and like uncomfort from side to side when, when pumping, 
um, is when the mast is a little soft, not very yeah. stiff, or if the wings are a little soft, not stiff, or even not connected tight enough. Um, That's what I thought it was at first. It's not that. It's um, I think it's just there's a little bit of flex in it. But the performance is insane. It's just like it takes a little bit more foot sensitivity in knowing where it's coming back under me. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think that's one of the one of the biggest things about about foiling too is starting to starting to control that pivot point, right? Cuz we we with foiling we we're so much more focusing on the weight distribution forward and backward and and really kind of minimizing everything side to side toe to heel, especially as a beginner. Um you really we're really kind of doing this more so controlled shift of our weight forward to land safely or to gain control and the subtle shift of weight backward to create lift and anything side to side anything toe to heel even if it's just our butt and our chest hanging slightly over the water off to the side really can throw ourselves off and so um you know avoiding that side to side rolling sensation you know, whether you're an expert getting used to different gear, that's maybe a little softer or going to a high aspect wing. Um, I think that's a, could be consistent even, you know, even for a beginner learning, it's that, uh, that sensation of, you know, that rolling sensation isn't fun where it, where it lifts and rolls one way or the other. And, uh, the worst thing we could do is counterbalance to that side, yeah. meaning like, if you feel that, say on your foil you're using right now, you feel that it, you're getting some instability where it's, uh, you know, side to side uh, inst- instability. If you counterbalance on that same side that's throwing you off, you're, you're going to throw yourself into a, a foil nightmare where you'll be falling into the foil as it jumps out of the water. Yep. And that's, scary. And that's the, the worst way to fall, right? And so the best way to counterbalance um, a foil, you know, when it's lifting, let's say the left side of the board is lifting and the left side of the wing is about to break out of the water and roll up towards you. The worst thing we could do is push on our toes on that side to, to level the board out, right. Or to push on the side that's lifting and try and level it out. So if you're visualizing this, you got to visualize it from a goofy footer standpoint. I'm, I'm a goofy footer. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you, if you push on the side, that's lifting up, um, it's going to, it, you're not going to, the foil is going to win. Right. And so to counterbalance, we, we want to be confident in that, that shift of our weight forward to actually land the board again, or to lift the board by sliding back. And so this porpoise motion, you could imagine how dolphins, they go up and down, Right that motion that we make with the board and the foil controlling our altitude lifting and landing that actually gives us stability that gives us balance and the more we could throw our weight directly over that pivot point and focus our energy forward to back with that pumping motion the more balanced we're going to be and sometimes it's just it's just we're bent over too far with our butt and our chest over the water a bit too much. And if we stand up straight a little taller and focus our, our pumping motion more over the board from nose to tail, 
just that could a lot of the time really help our, our comfort and control pumping. Yeah. I, yeah. A hundred percent. Um, talk through what wings you like in what conditions. So, you know, mo- mostly in surfing right now, you can touch on maybe downwinding too. I'm, I'm sure that's going to be high aspect stuff, but, um, what do you like in, in different conditions for surfing and different boards too? Cause I know you'd be probably prone and stand up oil. Oh man, it's there's not enough, man. I want more. <laughs> I want to catch more. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's like every time I jump on something new, there's something good about it and there's something bad about it. And you know, it's, it's really exciting because I know the, the equipment's going to keep evolving. Um, but at the moment I've really been loving my starboard wave, uh, 1300 and starboard wave 1700, even on really, really small days. Um, so that's a, a goal shape wing, as I like to call it. It's a, it's a flat wing, um, with a slight goal, uh, goal shape. And what's a goal? The, shape? the goal shape would be, I think, um, what are some people calling it? Um, like where the tips are slightly bent down and then they come up and down like it, like an M, like a really wide, low M. Okay. Or, or yeah. Or an upside down W. The Nash wings have that same shape, right? Or similar, like some of the older Nash stuff. Is that the same type of shape there you're talking about? No, no, no. no. Those early Nash ones were not, it would be more so like a, um, I'm trying to think if you guys are familiar with the starboard foils, the, the starboard wave is, is the one that I'm talking about, or oh, it would be like the MSC one. Um, that's, that's more flat with a very subtle, uh, subtle, um, you know, curvature. Um, yeah, maybe we could pull up, uh, I'm pulling one up right now so I can look at it. But yeah, the, okay. I've been really liking that. I gotcha. I've been really looking, liking that for the wave riding. So the starboard wave has been my favorite in the waves. Uh, um, really been finding a really loose freestyle feel from it. You know, I think it's because uh, I'm able to slide a little more. Of course, it's still very drivey, but I'm able to kind of do a turn and not just, you know, make it a little tighter radius of turn and be able to even feel the, 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 the wings slipping across the water slightly through the turn. And so it, um, not only is it something that I feel like for me, it's adding a little bit of performance and a freestyle sensation to my wave riding. Uh, but it's also the foil that I teach on. So I teach on the largest surface area starboard wave and most of my lessons this year have been taught on the starboard wave 1700 for one reason and, and one major reason. And that's the forgiveness of breach. Uh, the breaching ability of it is, is very, uh, subtle. And so it's not just going to jump out of the water and breach on you, which I think is the most common wipeout for someone in the beginner to intermediate stages of foiling. Uh, where the foil, where you go a little too high with your altitude and the foil breaks the surface and jumps out of the water and then you come crashing down. Um, so the, the wave, 
Does that mean that it's, it's, it's easier to land it if you do breach or it's less prone to breaching? And does that have to do with the lift or angle of attack of the rear wing? Why do you think that, uh, why do you think that is? Well, you know, I, I don't quite know. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not quite into the technical side of, of the designs, but I am a, I'm a test dummy for a lot of them. And I, I know the feel <laughs> <laughs> and feeling this foil. I, I think that it, it, it all of a sudden, as you rise up with your altitude, you approach the surface of the water and it just, it holds, it's like it locks in under the surface. And, um, it's very interesting because, uh, in many ways, even if it does break the surface, it has a very smooth re-entry back into the water. Um, so I, the best word that I like to use to describe it is, is it's very forgiving with the breach, meaning it's not going to jump out of the water as easy. Um, as say a, a single scoop foil with a single curve to it, I find those to breach the worst, um, where they just jump out of the water with high lift and just break free and then dive into the water pretty rough as well. Um, now it could be, it could be even, um, uh, the combination too. But I have been testing a lot of different tail wings as well with that same front wing I'm talking about. And it has a, that same sensation with the breach. So I do believe it is, it is the front wing, maybe the angle of attack of the, the front wing um, could even be just that flatness. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've been loving that foil for myself personally, wave riding, and as well for teaching. I find the biggest success rate uh, for beginners behind the boat learning how to fly with that one and that's that's how i always like to teach first time foilers is behind the boat with a rope um now for for pumping my favorite foil has been the i think my longest flat water pump i've ever had was with the starboard ocean surf 2400 uh but i don't quite like it for maneuverability and for and for riding it pumps great. I mean, I, I did a, I did like a, a lake pump on that recently. That was about 10 minutes and I did a big loop and it was really, uh, I was really impressed with how, how easily it pumped, but it was slow. It was, a, that's the thing about a lot of these fo uh, foils that for, that are for pumping, right? There's a lot of surface area, a, a lot of lift, but at times you could feel like you get to a certain speed range and you're dragging. You can't go any faster. Yeah. Um, and so one of the favorite foils I've had lately for pumping is the signature Albatross 210. Um, and I find that foil to have been really fun for, for pumping. And is also you... it has a pretty unique feel for wave riding too, which, which I find it to be maybe one of the best combinations of, of, of pumping and wave riding. What, what um, stabilizer are you using with the 210? I've got the down curve. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what models they had. I just went into the shop and bought one full price from my, because uh, I was, I really wanted to test it. Um, I, I, it was whatever it came with. Um, okay. It was, it's a, it's a turned down tip. That's uh, 
not doesn't have very sharp angles. It's a pretty smooth round turned down tip. That's tail probably wing. the same one I've got. Yeah, it feels great. Yeah. A lot of guys are cutting off. Um, Brian Boyle of the Foil was just telling me, or um, Foil the World, sorry, Foil the World was just telling me that they're cutting off some of the ends of it, and it makes it surf even a lot better of that tail of that tail stabilizer. And Kane did that too. Wow, he's been making his own. Yeah, Kane's been making his own stabilizers for that wing. Yeah, testing some of Kane's um, wings, he's been making. I think those are probably better for for someone of our uh, experience level. A little more unstable and hard to control, but you get a little bit more out of the pumping, and it is it has that feeling that I was explaining on the starboard wave, where it almost is a little bit more like slippy, slidey, and, and freestyle-y feeling off the tail wing when you're when you're wave riding. Um, yeah. And I then as far as out, uh, I haven't figured out how to, uh, to to really surf that wing yet. It's a lot different than the I've been surfing the NP setup for a while and i really like it that's a good wing um well that's combo. the thing right it's not it's, like it's not the best surf. it's it's a great combination of pumping it's it's a pump wing i, right. I believe you know i think it's a great wave wing for pumping and it also is a good wing for surfing but if you want a wave for a wing for surfing you know then i'd recommend the the starboard wave 1300 that's what i've found to be like my favorite for, for unlocking new levels of foiling in the waves. Um, but if, if you were to go for something that's just a great all-around combination, um, I think that Albatross is a great option. Um, and then if you're more into the downwind side of the side of things, that's a whole new uh, you know foil for you. Um, <laughs> what do so, you ride in downwind? What did you so Zane, you just won a big race. Um, what was the race that you that you just won? I just won the the Molokai Holokai Maui to Molokai Championships. Congrats, man! That's uh, that's insane. Um, what what was your what was your setup that you were using there? What's your strategy in in racing? How much is a, is is equipment a part of it? Um, yeah, how much is your ability huge. just to pump for an hour straight? Yeah, equipment is huge when it comes to these races, and uh, you know, I've been I've been working with the starboard team on developing uh, foil that's great for downwind fastest foil downwind and we we've we've got a slow start um but i think we're coming close to something that's working really good you know and the result at the last race showed um so i actually raced this uh, a, a prototype wing from starboard it would be i guess the future ocean surf um it has a more uh, a lot more of a high aspect sa- shape than any of the star- previous starboard wings. Um, it's actually a bit wider than the Albatross 210. It looks it looks uh, a, a pretty similar shape as far as like the high aspects that are out in the market right now. Probably a more similar shape to the Signature than some of the others, except the angle of attack and the uh, the actual foil on the top and the bottom of the front wing is very different from any other foil, uh, high aspect foil I've seen. And I think that's coming from the designing team on the windsurf side of starboard foils. You know, they have a lot of experience. They have the fastest hydrofoils for windsurf racing. So I think they, the starboard team definitely has a lot of experience 
uh, in there and as well, um, research and development into fast wings, you know, there's no doubt. And now we're starting to kind of find a happy mix between the speed from these windsurf foils into stability and control stand-up paddle racing it. Um, so a funny story, actually, um, I rode the signature 210 uh, for the Olukai the week before my, um, my win at the Maui to Molokai, Pailola 27-mile channel crossing. And I got fourth place with the 210. Uh, place in the, the Olukai race and it wasn't a time that I was super stoked on you know I had a, I had a good run um, you know I, but Ryan the, and the Spencer brothers uh, got out and he- ahead of me and I was really hoping for that top three position and so I went back to my starboard wings that I was testing and I'm like how could I make these things better you know and so literally two nights before the Molokai, the Maui to Molokai race, I started cutting uh, a prototype wings that starboard sent me. And I, I just totally hacked it up with a hacksaw and grinded it down with a grinder and tried to me- just eyeball the shape and make it symmetrical as possible. And I'm, I'm looking at this thing the next morning with five minute solar res, you know, covering the, the, the cut marks and sealing it off and i'm thinking oh my god am i really gonna race this thing <laughs> and, and, I'm, and i'm just like you know what screw it i'm gonna go for the risk use it uh you know i know this foil was pretty similar time to what i scored on the olukai with the albatross 210 it was a very similar average speed and so i was like hey realistically i mean if i'm cutting the wing's smaller it should be faster right <laughs> what did you cut <laughs> so, off i cut probably like two inches off of each side of the tips of okay. the the you know the the sides of the my prototype high aspect starboard wing and um i'll send you a photo eric so you can check it out it's pretty funny it looks awesome. it looks just like like a foil that maybe shouldn't have won because it's so rough and and cut up but it ended up working, man. I was three miles an hour faster on my average speed, or excuse me, on my top speed. My top speed was three miles an hour faster. How fast do you um, go? Uh, my watch, I have the Rip Curl GPS. I'm not quite sure how accurate it is. That's what I've been using lately. And my average speed was about 14 miles an hour. Uh-huh. And uh, my, my top speed I read at about 22 and that was, um, you know, I'm not, once again, I'm not quite sure how accurate this, this rip curl watch is, but I just try and reference my times and average speeds from the same watch that I know it's at least consistent. Gotcha. Um, but I don't think it is very, very, uh, I don't think that's very, uh, very correct. You know, that time, because I have some other friends with uh, Garmin's that were, you know, getting finishing at the same time. Uh, similar times and they're saying they've they're getting uh, slightly different speeds so um but yeah anyway uh cutting off the tips of the wings uh made it a little faster it definitely i so i cut down specifically i cut the turn down part of the wing and so at the end of the high aspect wing it started to turn down and i just chopped off those turn down bits and i lost stability it was a little bit harder to control a little bit more slippy slidey and rolly 
but it was a lot faster and I was able to manage, you know, I, I didn't touch the water all but two times. So I didn't fall once. Um, I was able to ride for the 27 mile race without touch, without falling. And I barely touched the water twice. How much and are you so, riding? How much are you pumping? Um, well, if you want to win the, win the race, you got to be pumping, man. I mean, but I could have easily sat that stood there and surfed the whole time if I wanted to, but I was, you know, progressing through swells. And so meaning not just riding one swell, but actually carrying the speed from one ride into the ride in front. And so that starts to become quite a freaking physically demanding exercise. You know, you know, if you want to just sit there and cruise, you most definitely can. But when you have a foil that's allowing you to unlock a new range of speed, it's almost easier to keep moving forward past that the next swell, the next swell, the next swell. And, uh, it's, it's really, um, yeah, it's a lot of pumping for sure. I was pumping a bit, especially towards the end of the race, uh, when we were coming into the flat water and that's the biggest challenge. I think we're going to see with these downwind races is it's a great run, but it's a crappy start and finish, (laughs) you know, because usually they're starting us with all the paddle, the stand-up paddlers and the canoes. And usually we're starting and finishing close to shore, not in the wind line. And so for this race, we were able to start in the wind line, but we finished inside Kai Harbor. And so the last mile or so was, you know, not very much wind swell at all. There was still some ground swell, but no wind pushing us on our back and very far spread apart ground swell that was moving very fast. And so this is the kind of thing that's starting to get technical with downwind racing. Do you want to build a foil that's going to ride wind swell or do you want to build a foil that's going to ride ground swell? What would now, you want, you want for to go- wind swell? What would you want for ground swell? Well, it depends if you want to win or if you want to be comfortable and cruise. You know, if you want to, if you want to just get a, if you want to get a taste of what it's like to downwind foil and you're just getting into it, you want a foil built to ride wind swell because wind swell is very close together and slow moving. They have a very, they have a shorter frequency between each swell and they're usually a bit steeper, even more of a crest and a trough, you know, that are tighter together, making the swell a little steeper and they're coming one after another and they're, uh, uh, yeah. So they're moving slower though, is the big point. Getting onto a ground swell is pretty challenging riding a foil that's built for wind swell because there's a different range of speed. Whereas if you're riding, say, a 1700, let's use a foil that maybe people are super familiar with, the 1700 Go Foil um, Eva or something around 1700. I don't know if that's the exact size, but the Go Foil Eva, okay? Riding windswell on that, I found is I found is super comfortable. You know, I could surf the windswell and just have fun standing there on one swell. You know, but if I want to proceed to the next swell in front, I could make it happen, but it's pretty challenging, right? right. Now, if you feel a ground swell starting to approach from behind, it just flies right past you. You barely catch the glide 
of the groundswell, right? And a lot of the time, it's hard to even recognize this groundswell. The best way to see it is from an aerial angle. And so if you go on to what my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Zane Schweitzer, and you look at some of my brother's drone videos of our downwind races, uh, the Maui to Molokai from this year or last year, which is on my YouTube channel, you'll see from his drone the difference between the windswell and the groundswell. A lot of the time, one groundswell can take up like five, six swells of windswell. And so it's a very wider uh, swell that's more spread apart. And most riders can't even feel the groundswell moving under them and past them. But I think the guys that are winning these races lately are utilizing that glide from the windswell more. Meaning, but to be on a foil that's built for the speeds of groundswell, you got to imagine it's freaking hard to get the foil off the water because when you start, it doesn't want to lift at slow speed, you know? And so a great example was, uh, the M M two M last year. Uh, it was a light, it was pretty light for Pilolo channel, not much wind, not much, uh, not much wind swell. And so I decided to take my Maliko, my go foil Maliko, one of my bigger foils. And, um, about I was the first person up off the water. I got the foil off the water in less than 15 strokes, and I was up and flying out ahead of the pack. And 10 minutes into the race, I'm thinking, hell yeah, I'm out ahead. Um, I got a good, I got a good start here. And all of a sudden, we get into the wind line. Let's say 20 minutes into the race, 30 minutes into the race, and Kai just comes flying past me. And I looked at his foil when he was on the boat and I was laughing thinking, dude, he's crazy. That thing is so thin and so small. He's not going to be able to get that foil off the water the first five miles. Right. And he, he may not have got the foil up off the water as quick as I did, but once he was able to get the foil off the water from enough of a push and enough work to get it off the water, the range of speed is so much faster. And so you have to work a little harder on those, on those wind swells to keep it up, but you could ride, you, you could elongate your glide on those ground swells further. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes complete sense. That's, um, yeah. So that's, a, that's like the big challenge for me is like, is, is trying to compensate how much I'm going to be paddling at the start and the finish and trying to compensate how well I'm going to be able to ride the ground ground swell as opposed to the wind swell. And, uh, so those are, those are pretty technical parts about this sport right now that getting, that's getting me really excited on R and D, you know, and I'm continuing to cut up foils myself here on Maui and as well, continuing to, you know, receive foils from, you know, starboard. And I'm also buying different foils, you know, from signature and, and, uh, AK and trying to figure out, you know, what, what's working better and what's not. And it's pretty just, exciting. <laughs> it's sick. It's such a fun space to just to think about to play around in. Um, here's your solution for that Zane. You need a flat board with a mass that goes through the board and you have two foils. You have one big foil on one side and one small foil and you can pop it through. Um, and it locks down. 
so you can you can pump on one and then you can get out to the wind line and then pop it around switch the board on this other side and then fly on the other side oh you mean like actually flip it upside down and have <laughs> yeah like... and, and and the mask goes through and then there's some sort of like pin mounting thing on it to where it like bolts down so you're standing on top of the foil you're not riding with the mask that goes oh through the my board. god that is too good <laughs> then it'll start looking like there's a spoiler in the back of a little nissan rice rocket <laughs> when you're riding down the yeah. down the down the channel have this big spoiler hanging behind you yeah be sick. <laughs> classic um Right on, man. All right, so I pinged um, the Instagram audience um, ahead of you coming on the show, and I got a bunch of questions. You got a couple more minutes to answer a bunch of uh, fan questions? Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's hear it. Um, Jason Cadillac um, asks, are you using one of the uh, foil wings yet, The uh, like the sling wing, the duotone, um, like wind wings for foiling? Yes, I have been having some fun on the wind wings. Um, I don't own one personally yet, uh, but I've I've tried the Duotone uh, version of it, and as well the Cabrina version of it, and I've had a lot of fun on both. Uh, my first time giving it a go was with uh, Pete Cabrina himself, and um, he gave me a little rundown on the beach, a little five-minute lesson, and I was pretty surprised that, you know, right away I was able to get it going and caught the hang of it within minutes. And within 10 minutes, I was trying to do backflips and almost ripped Pete Cabrina's kite. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you so don't then I realized, okay, maybe I should maybe I should slow down my progression on this thing until I get my own kite. <laughs> if, <laughs> win, win. <laughs> if you don't windsurf, how hard would it be to learn? What would the learning curve be on that, you think? I think if you don't understand the wind through previous wind sport experience, it would take a lot more time to get the hang of it. But at the same time, it's pretty straightforward to the point. Uh, the biggest challenge is going to be keeping your ground upwind. I don't see this as a sport that's going to stick in the general public for you know, going all around in one area. But I think for doing a downwinder, it's going to give the opportunity for the people who have never had a chance for a successful downwinder to have a successful downwinder. Does that make sense? Yeah. That makes so sense. If, if, you've, if you're just fantasizing over doing a downwinder and you've thrown yourself out in the open ocean and just drifted down the coast, not being able to get that foil off the damn water, that's frustrating as hell. Um, and I think for the people who are struggling to get the foil off the water for a downwinder, this could be the, their, their time to just hold that kite in the hand, get pulled down and be able to get that lift, right. And get that and then start continue moving down with the wind, but learning how to edge and hold your line on a reach or even push upwind is something that I think is going to take a bit more experience. Um, still though, I'd say it's probably, you know, if you already know how to foil and if you already know how to windsurf or kite surf, I think this is something that you're going to get the hang of pretty much right away. Right on. Uh, but if you, if you don't know how to kite surf or windsurf, 
Um, it could take a little bit more time, but I'm not saying it's not possible. Um, I think that maybe it's, it's, it's crazing. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not a trending, you know, but I kind of feel like still maybe it's a, a trending phase. Um, but there is going to be a window of opportunity where this sport is going to stick and where it's going to shine. And, uh, and I think it's, there's already, we're starting to see the type of people that are getting into it. And, um, there's no doubt that you could have a lot of fun on it, um, with performance too. You know, once you start, you know, going out and I mean, I was doing these big jumps and just floating down and, and, uh, slicing straight up wind and, and I was, I was personally thinking I windsurf and kite surf and I'm thinking, damn, I need to get one of these things, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so another damn toy in my garage that I'm waiting for to arrive. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Luke asks, where do you see sup foil board sizes going? Oh uh, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you see a lot of people just going smaller and smaller and, um, you know, uh, yes. I see the small boards being where it's at. You know, I personally have been riding a 411. You know, I don't know if uh, you guys have seen any of my recent uh, YouTube video where I'm, uh, I think it's titled Crazy Foil Session with Zane and Brennan. Um, yeah, I, I threw some straps on my um, 411. It's all wooden eco board that I built. It's actually a, one of the original prototypes for the now hyperfoil. Um, that thing is, is tiny, man. It's super small and I could, I could stand on it and I could paddle it out. Um, once I'm up riding on the waves, it's like, yeah, that's where it's at. This is, this is what it's about, but paddling it is uncomfortable. Right. And so, especially for a beginner learning how to control that pivot point forward to back is sometimes pretty tough, you know? Um, so when I teach, hydrofoiling uh if it's a, if it's someone who's looking to sup foil i usually will throw them on a 7-2 hyper nut uh or the 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 or the i guess the new now it's uh the new hyper foil and with that board it's you know it's seven seven two by uh seven two by thirty two i believe or seven two by twenty I got to double check, but it's, um, it's anyway, there's a lot more volume than I think what most guys are, are, are using, but the whole point of learning the foil should be, you know, should be efficient. Right. And that's kind of why I teach on a big board so that people could get up standing on the board and then focus on flying because believe it or not, with these lessons, I teach more time is spent just getting your feet in the right spot, just learning where to stand and being on a small board that just makes it that much harder. Right. And so if you're, if you're a beginner, you're looking to start up in the sport, I would say maybe before you go buying a board, take a lesson, get on a big board that you're comfortable uh, to stand on, uh, you know, just standing there and um, get pulled at slow speeds on a big foil. That's uh, you know, and just get comfortable finding your sweet spot because we really need to get out of the mind mindset of a surfer. We yeah. can't be in our surf mindset. You know, we have to be in an, 
be very open to learning a new sport. Right. And I think a lot of the time when I teach surfers, you know, even a lot of my friends who are pro surfers, they have a harder time than learning than, than someone I teach that who's never surfed in their life. And I think the difference is a surfer is stuck in their ways of surfing. They know how to surf. They're going to go jump on this foil and surf it, yeah, you know? That and it's, yeah. And it's, it's different. You know, it's, it's more control over the front foot. You know, your pivot point is being controlled uh, front to back, not so much at all side to side. And, um, you know, you're standing with a lot more of an erect uh, straight up and down stance, the head over shoulders, shoulders over hips, hips over either the front knee or the back knee. And, uh, you know, so there's, there's definitely a different style. Um, and as far as board sizes go, I think for the guys who, once you, once you learn how the dynamic, the basics of flight, once you learn where to put your feet, how to position your body and, and the basic comfort of lifting and landing. I think from there, it's just whatever you're comfortable paddling on, you go smaller and smaller, right? If you, if you think you could paddle something smaller, go for it, yep. you know, because it's going to be a much more comfortable flight so, <laughs> flying but, with a little bit lighter of a board and flying with a little bit smaller of a board, man, does it make a difference? Makes a huge but difference. at the same time, why kill yourself just getting out there paddling? Right. And so I see some people struggling, falling so much after their ride, right? They'll, after they ride, they'll kick out of the wave and maybe get a few pumps in. But once the port hits the water, they're falling all over the place. And, and, and so it's all up to you, you know, whether you want to have something where you're paddling out dry, you know, you could still have an amazing sensation. And I still have an amazing sensation foiling on my, my seven foot hypernut. You know, when I go out and teach, I'll go play around on that same board I'm teaching on and, you know, give them, give them the, a little show, show off a little bit, show them the how to, and you could still do it. But it's just a lot more of like the difference of drying a, a, a small, you know, Lexus or Ferrari and the difference of going to a big F-350. You know, it's one's going to be a lot more just just and moving uh, like a like a tractor and almost, you know, it's a good field still. You know, you're still flying. It's just it's not as responsive. It's not as light. You can't pump as efficiently. And so once you start learning how to pump, especially, and once you start wanting to like get back out to the next wave, getting a lighter and smaller board is, is pretty key. Yeah. Um, Freedom Foil Boards, good follow-up right here, um, wrote in and asked leaders versus surface area. So I'm assuming for prone boards, what do you care more about, leaders or surface area? For prone boards, shoots i would say probably leaderage is more important you know because you want something that's going to be floating you and you're not you don't want to be dragging the board and the foil underwater right and so even if you like i have uh, a little four two prone board i really like it i don't find it to be too long um i maybe could go a little shorter but if I was to go shorter, I would definitely want to add volume somewhere, no doubt, because I wouldn't want to be 
I wouldn't want the board to be any further under the water, you know? Um, now, once again, uh, for me, I'm, I'm coming from the, uh, the type of foiler that likes to be off the water more than on the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why a lot of the time I'm stand up paddle foiling because I feel I could, I could just have so much more airtime and connect so much more waves with pumping, you know, every once in a while having that paddle to, to give you that burst of momentum to get back up to speed. Um, let's, now let's with, go into that. Zane. The, oh, so, so, sorry sorry yeah. there. I want to, I think you just touched on something important and something that I've been bouncing around on a whole lot, which is I ride, I have a five, five, um, stand up foil and I ride a four ten. Um, my stand up foil is a hundred liters. My, my four ten is a prone board. It's like 30, 35, 36 liters. I, I love it. I thought it was going to be too big, but, I, but I love it. I was riding a four three beforehand. Um, you know, and I bounce back and forth between the, the prone and the, and the stand up, And, um, I can't tell some days I think it's easier to pump the, the stand up, but if, if there's wind, sometimes that can be a pain in the ass. If you're, you know, pumping back out into the wind, um, you know, I like the rhythm of pumping a prone board more. What do you like more stand up or prone? You might've just covered that right there, but kind of talk about the differences in the two. I think a lot of folks will want to know that. Yeah. So getting on a prone board, I think the biggest difference is you could start to eliminate your board. You know, you could start to really eliminate that swing weight that's throwing you off, uh, with your, your pumping. And so, you know, getting on a prone board, you could really go small and light. Now with that, it makes it more uncomfortable paddling, right? But if, but if you're, um, if you're already a pretty good pumper, if you could pump pretty well and you could ride the foil pretty well, you may find it worth, you may find the compensation worthy to, to lose your paddle comfort on the way out. If you know that you could fly that much longer. Right. And so meaning you might need a little bit more of a push. You're not going to be able to get an early takeoff like you could on your stand-up paddle foil or even just a bigger prone foil board. But if you're on a, a minimal volume and surface area prone foil board, you're going to need a little bit more of a push, a little bit more of a whitewash takeoff. But when you're up, you don't feel that board. And you could actually pump it. You know, you, if, if you don't make a mistake, you could just keep flying around really easily. Um, now, I think that's the biggest difference is on a SUP, you could go as small as you could stand on and paddle, right? And with that, you don't lose the ability to get an early takeoff. You don't lose the ability to get an early takeoff as much as you would going minimal surface area and volume prone. Um, and so that's, that's one of the biggest differences for me is on minimal volume, minimal surface area prone board. You could be pumping more efficiently, but you're not going to be able to get as early of a takeoff or as much, nearly as much comfort or speed paddling back out. Right. And so you could stay more mobile with a stand-up paddle foil. You could catch them further out. Right. And you could also, if you feel like you're losing your momentum of a pump, 
because I don't know if you've ever felt Eric, but like you'll be pumping and it's usually those last few pumps after your wave where all of a sudden you're pumping, pumping. And then all of a sudden it just drops. Yep. The foil just drops and you, it falls. And that's because you went under its optimal range of speed. Yep. Right. The high aspect if ones have a, have a, have a higher speeding, uh, higher speed, uh, stall rate or stall speed. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that's something I'm getting used to right now. Like sometimes I'll be going to connect and I'll be going to make that turn to connect and, you know, I hit that stall speed. I just, I just fall. So I'm trying to like, keep... and it's almost like, it's almost like points of no return without yeah. a paddle in your hand. Yeah. But when you have a paddle in your hand, you feel that sensation starting to come. You're getting close to your, your, your lowest optimal range of speed. You give it a few powerful strokes and you could throw yourself back up, you know, back up to speed a little bit and then carry your momentum, get back up to that, that range of speed. Whereas if you're on a prone foil board, the only option would be to do a side to side pump, which is very hard. You know, if you start to, if you're starting to lose your flight, just straight up and down, forward to backward, and you're getting your movement starting to move slower, and you feel the foil dropping, you could start to throw in side to side pumps, and you could lift yourself back up. But that's a super technical maneuver that you know I, I haven't really seen many people dial in. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be something that we see starting to be more common. I'm sure it will be. You mean side to side pumps like? like uh, I want to just clarify this a little bit like you know like um, when you're connecting waves on a on a surfboard you're kind of going from the outside to the inside you can kind of do like the, the yeah, top or you can do like the carve back and forth which is you know way more stylish is that kind of the same feel where you're kind of like carving rail to rail building speed that way versus exactly. like pumping up okay exactly I haven't seen anyone so do that have, on you, a ever, have you ever noticed have you ever noticed that when you lean over your foil for a roundhouse or for a turn, yeah. it accelerates? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you're just utilizing that moment of acceleration with that side to side pump, but it becomes really hard because you're, um, you're, you're throwing really quickly your pivot point over side to side. And so the practicing this could, could, result in some pretty rough wipeout yeah that, um, <laughs> that sounds pretty nice but i haven't the, seen anyone the, do that the, other, have... option, the yeah. other the other option for a prone foiler that's losing their range of speed and starting to lose a lift is start turning into a swell and so that's something that you do as well so i'm not saying it's not possible you know because when i go out on my tiny prone board I could keep that thing up. And if I feel like it's starting to drop, those are the two things I'll go to. I'll go to my side to side pump. And at the same time, I'll start to eye down a swell that I could turn into. And then if I could just turn into a swell and get that little extra altitude, then I could kick off the swell again and yep. keep pumping in the direction I want to go. Yep. That's a that's something I've just started playing around with a little bit on my pumps back out. I'll I'll kind of just do a top turn into one, like high line for just a second, get like a one or two second break, and then pump off that swell. Just keep going back out. Yeah, that's a pretty yeah, cool little trick. That's what trip. it's about. All right, um, Eric and Tamarindo. Eric's a buddy of mine. Asks, and he he actually saw you guys. He when we were surfing Marbella on the Progression Project uh, shoot. He was he was in Marbella that day. He said, "When are you coming back to Costa Rica?" 
oh man, I'd love to come back. And if I do, I'd want to be doing it with you guys. Um, I haven't been back. I don't have any plans to go back soon. I have a super busy end schedule on the end of this year. Um, but I think next year I, uh, I could, I could make the trip out. You know, I was thinking, and, uh, Eric, we should do progression project number two, man. That would be fun, man. That, that would be a lot of fun and maybe mix it up with all sorts of cool, uh, toys and stuff. But yeah, that would be, that would be the biggest, the only way I can make it out is if I could, uh, you know, create a little bit of an opportunity for my sponsors to find some value out of it. Cause at the end of the day, you know, I'm, a lot of people might think I create my own schedule and have the freedom to do, you know, exactly what I want, but I'm, you know, my, I have some employers being my sponsors and, and they, they want me to be doing certain things. And, and so if I could put together a, a clinic opportunity, a coaching opportunity, or even a, you know, um, so, opportunity where we could do some clips together, then I could find, find a window to come out most, most definitely. Well, um, maybe we could do a combination of both. You know, we've got blue zone running down there. Maybe you can host um, a retreat week down there and then maybe do some filming on the back half and invite some other guys to come down and do that. That'd be a lot of fun. I think in that case, I could definitely get the approval from, from uh, some of my sponsors to, to do a week trip down there. And I, I think that would be awesome, man. I'd love to come out. We know doing trips like that for me is, is like a recharge, like a spiritual recharge, you know, going, Cause when you, when you start going from one weekend to the next one event to the next, it's like, it can get old, man. So <laughs> mixing it up in between all these competitions with, with coaching opportunities and film trips is, oh man, it's so much fun. Right on, man. Okay. Um, you know, uh, foundation training, my, my buddy, Eric Goodman chimed in. He said, can he go downwinding with you next time? And he's in Hawaii. Wait, did you just say your buddies with Eric, founder of Foundation Training? Yeah, he's one of my best friends. Yeah, Eric's a really good friend. Yeah. What, dude? Yeah. I'd be stoked to go meet him and do some downwind. I want to put you guys in us. touch, man. Eric and I have been friends dude. for like I don't know over, over ten years now. Um, we That's were talking awesome. yesterday. I do so, Foundation Training every day. I do the Wide Stance Founder every day. I'm um, going to make sure that uh, that he hears this, and he's actually getting super yeah. foiling right now. He he's he wants to get aboard right now he's um uh, he was he called me yesterday or two days ago about you know going to a longer mast and he's all fired up so yeah you guys should definitely well, dude, connect uh connect me and eric with him so i'd be stoked to trade some some uh some foil tips with some foundation training tips man I, i've been a big fan of his work and i found it to have really helped me big time you know especially because so much of the work we do stand-up paddling um, you know, uh, depending on how, how aggressive you, you take your paddling, but especially for these races, man, we get locked up in this position with the hips and, uh, you know, and the foundation training and that wine stance founder really helps me to just correct that position and, and get my back to relieve some tension. And yeah, so that's, uh, uh, challenge accepted cool. foil boiling with Eric for some foundation yeah. Thank you. Be on that. You, you guys will get along too. Eric's a really good dude. Um, really good friend. Um, all right. Rob Vampiros wants to know what your favorite wing setup is with the new starboards. It sounds like you covered that one. Um, yeah, the wave, the wave, wave 1300 for wave riding and for pumping and downwind the ocean surf. 
They're going to have a smaller ocean surf for pumping and downwind, but currently their smallest is 2,000. I think in September they release a, a 1,500, which right now is my, fat, my, my fastest and, and most favorite pumping and, and downwind foil. Okay, right on. And then here's the last question for you, Zane, and this one's coming from uh, Henrik. And he actually sent me about 10 questions, but I'm get, we hit a lot of it during the show, and I'm going to hit you with uh, the one that we really didn't talk too much about, and that is, he writes, most foils are quite heavy. Apart from handling on land, how does weight affect foil performance? Oh, man, what a great question. Um, yeah, this is something I've put a, a lot of, of time and thought into, you know, especially because some of the early starboard foils were, were some of the heavier foils on the market. Um, and so when initially, when I first got my starboard foils, I thought, wow, these are heavy, you know, picking them up, comparing them to my GoFoil. And um, once I started to ride them, I realized, wow, there's something really special about having the rigidity, the, the, the rigid feel of this aluminum mass. And it, it was considerably stiffer. I mean, yep. and riding, wave riding for performance maneuvers, I still to this day choose my aluminum starboard mass, which is where most of the weight's coming from, and the fuselage, um, over, say, a full carbon setup, because I just haven't been able to ride, find a full carbon setup that's nearly as stiff as, as my, um, my aluminum setup. Yep. Um, and so, you know, there's a time and a place for it, right? But there's also a time and a place for a soft setup that's light. And so, for example, if I'm not t focusing on turning and doing aerials and, and leaning over these big turns, then I could lose a little bit of a uh, uh, little bit of ridge of that rigid feel to gain a lighter feel. And so. When I go downwind and when I do uh, pumping, I'm using a carbon mass and I'm using a much lighter uh, wing and mass setup. And it does make a pretty big difference, especially when you're just flat water pumping. When you're just flat water pumping, it does make a difference having a lighter setup, right? Um, but I think for wave riding, it doesn't make that much of a difference. Uh, pumping back out to the next wave, you could you could notice it a bit potentially, um, but yeah, I, I think that we're still yet to have the technology and construction where we could, you know, get that carbon layup to be a lot stiffer. Um, yeah, yeah. These new the new starboard uh, foils they just released um, a lighter mass a carbon mass and as well, lighter fuselage. And I've definitely been using that for the downwind and the pumping, gotcha. but still I prefer the aluminum mass in the waves. And so it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like a, a personal choice, I guess, on what you're looking for. I mean, but then again, I'm really rough on my foils when I'm wave riding. I don't know if you've ever, you know, for anyone who's ever rode with me or watched any of my videos knows that I'm not, you know, I'm, Sometimes I want to just be super cruisy and, and, and fly and, and go for speed. And, but I mean, most of the time I'm, I'm, 
throwing flips and trying to do alley-oops and 360s and, and trying to lean over further and and uh, bend that mass further and and so having that having that rigid feel with a little extra stiffness I think allows me to 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 get a little bit more high performance. What uh, what size mask are you using most of the time? I'm using a uh, seventy. It's a sixty-five centimeter, but I have the uh, the Tuttle to plate adapter on it, and so I, it's probably coming to more about. 70 okay. uh, centimeters, maybe even closer to 75. And then when I'm using my downwind setup, I have a 75 centimeter carbon mask with the um, adapter that's making it probably 80 to 80, somewhere around 80 to 85. Um, I have used as long as a 95 centimeter carbon starboard mask, and I feel like it was it was a bit too long. Um, you know, maybe for a really big and rough and windy downwinder, it would work, but it is amazing how much just a longer mass can make a difference in how a foil feels. I mean, if you could imagine you have a very tight bolt on your truck or in your house that you're trying to, you know, tighten up. If you get a tiny little three inch wrench, and you crank that bolt, you're going to be pulling as hard as you can and feel like, okay, that thing's tight. It's not going any tighter. But then if you go and you get a, a big old wrench that's 12 inches long, you know, a, a, you're going to be able to pull that thing so much tighter with less effort. Now, relating that analogy to how it feels with a longer foil pumping, less effort and less range of motion is equaling the same amount of reaction that you'd get on a shorter mass. Meaning if I give the same amount of energy and the same amount of range of motion into my long mass, as opposed to my short mass, it's not going to work. It's going to be, it's going to be moving too much. And so that was the biggest thing I had to learn going to a considerably longer mass and downwind more so was my pumping and my initial lift off the water needed to be, I needed to focus on keeping the board a lot more subtle, a lot more smooth without these, these pumping motions. Okay. Because if you think about it, you have a long mass, that foil is so much further away from the board. This, a little, a little um, adjustment, lifting the nose up off the water, sends that foil further than a short mass. And so I'm, I'm not sure if uh, you guys are following here, but if you have a short mass and you're doing your, your pump up and down and then going to a, a longer mass pump, you actually need to consciously do less, of mo- less motion with your pump. It's a lot less motion, a lot less um, up and down. But you're getting that same amount of swing with the foil below you. And you also don't have to put as much energy and work into it because of the same reason. And so that was kind of one of the, one of the biggest things I found. Now, as far as negatives, what you're losing with a long foil is the ability to get up off the water sooner 
when you have that much more foil under you, that much more mass dragging through the water, but also the actual foil itself is under the energy of the swell. If that makes sense. Yeah. And, and so you actually have to get gliding on the swell and then slowly adjust your weight back. Whereas with a short mass of 65 per se, I can get that thing up and flying in flat water, you know, paddling, you know, under about 20 strokes, I'll paddle that thing in flat water and start slamming my front foot up and down like a piston, like just getting that board to porpoise through the water. And I could get that thing up and flying. But with the, with the longer mass, I cannot flat water fly. Um, I haven't been able to successfully do it on that, on that 95 centimeter mass. What, uh, um, what wings can you successfully get up? Can you pump up the 1300? No, not the 1300 in flat water. I, the smallest wing I've been able to pump up in flat water is my starboard 1500. 1500. Yeah, I think that a lot of that has to do with. Gotcha. I think a lot of that has to do with kind of like weight to surface area ratio. I think we're going to have some ratios that start popping up in the future. Like Chase and I, Chase is a, a, a pretty big guy. He's like 190 pounds, and so am I. And like neither of us have been able to get up anything. Uh, and Chase is a phenom paddler. I'm not a great of a paddler, but Chase is a phenom paddler. He hasn't been able to flat water start yet. But his biggest mast, I think, is a, our biggest wing is like a 1700. I just think he needs more, um, more. Weight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you're talking about Chase Kostovitz, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chase runs Blue Zone for yeah, us now. Chase has Chase has the physical ability to do it, no doubt. For sure. But you know, I'm a lot, I'm a lot lighter and shorter than him, and that's mostly what I'm using for for flat water flight is 15 to 17, and so. I think for him, he'd probably want to be on something more like, uh, and, and, and here's something I also want to note too. Surface area doesn't necessarily make the call, right? It's the, it's the shape of the wing that's also allowing for lift. It's, you're not just getting lift from surface area. Right, and volume, you also volume's important in a wing too. Totally, totally, yeah. And so... You know, but I think in general he's a lot he's a lot heavier and, and, and taller than me. He he'd probably do better on, you know, maybe the um flat water flying, the Maliko two two hundred or even something I'm more familiar with, uh, the Starboard Ocean Surf twenty four hundred. Yeah. I guarantee he would jump on the Starboard Ocean Surf twenty four hundred and be able to get that thing flying in under thirty strokes. You know. That's um yeah. Right on. So it's foil, foil choice is, is big, but it also is a different technique too. It's not just, you know, you, you can't just say, Oh, I'm a, I'm a European national champion sprint racer and think you could get up foil flap, you know, cause it's a different, it's, you have to utilize that stroke technique, but combine it with a forced fly technique and forced fly. What I like, as, as I call it, is actually a synchronized motion of, of sprint stroke mixed with a synchronized motion of pumping the uh, porpoising the board with a, with a pump, right? And so you need to be able to uh, effectively get the board to, um, and I like to say when you reach for that stroke, 
slam your chest to your front knee. And as you pull that paddle back through the water, you throw your hips back on, uh, you throw your hips forward. And so what you're doing is you're quick, you're quickly distributing weight forward and backward, forward and backward. And you're distributing weight forward when you're reaching and planting that paddle in the water. And you're distributing weight backward as you throw that paddle through the water. And so you're synchronizing your paddle and your body motion so that you could actually start to, once you get that speed of that extra, almost like you're starting the plane a little bit and lift off the water, then you do like an ollie where like you, you turn this porpoise and stroke into boom, you become weightless for a second with that front knee and you lift it up to a force fly. And then from there you need to kind of find that rhythm of the foil, right? Yeah. So the flat water fly is something that I think still not many people have dialed. Um, but man, when you get it, it feels so good. Like when you get, cause it's a lot of work, man. But once you start to figure out the technique and you start dialing it in, it, it's cool. Yeah. I, that's on the to-do list. Beach, beach starts are on the to-do list and, and that's on the to-do list too. All right, man. Chase Foster would, would be really good with the beach starts. He's so tall. You think that helps? I guess the jumping up. He played basketball, <laughs> man. Yeah. Dude, it is. I mean, I'm I'm about five four, and like it's hard for me to jump up onto a my my seventy five centimeter mass. With my shorter mass, I could do it so much easier, just running and jumping off the beach. But you you have to jump that much higher, you know, up onto the board if you think about it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Relative. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, hey, Eric, let's get you over to Maui Sports Adventures Waterman Camp over here. And we'll get your flat water flying and beach starting and downwind gliding. <laughs> Let's do it, man. I would love to. Hey, before, before we wrap up, though, man, um, talk about your book. I wanted to touch on that. that. That's something that I think is so cool about you. Uh, talk about your book a little bit and then where anybody can find you. Um, yeah. Right on. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to share. Um, yeah, so I published the book two years ago. Uh, called Beneath the Surface. And Eric, have you received one yet? Not from you. Oh, man, but you have one. I have a copy, but I, but I, sometime I want the Zane Schweitzer signed copy. Yeah, I got to send you a signed copy. Um, but anyway, it's, it's a compilation of over 15 years of journaling. So my grandmother gifted me a journal when I was about 13 years old and first starting to travel uh, consistently on the Junior World Tour. And uh, she told me that one day I'd become old and not, not be able to recall my travels as easily. And so she told me to write down all my experiences with the world and its people. And I've been doing that ever since. I mean, still today, I journal twice a day, um, at least once a day. And um, every single day, I journal. It's probably the most consistent routine I have in my life. Um, you know, I'm always in another place. Uh, you're traveling. I'm always, uh, you know, shifting my mind focus from one thing to another between the different sports and competitions and projects. And it's, it feels good to have at least something that stays consistent. And I owe so much credit to my journaling, uh, for a lot of the success I've had, uh, including world championship titles. And throughout the book, I kind of share my lessons that I've learned to help me achieve my my goals 
And uh, one of the biggest things and, and consistent, uh, consistent tips I share is to take on the practice of journaling. And, uh, you know, so uh, I have stories near death, stories of chasing world titles, stories of, uh, you know, irresponsible partying. <laughs> and, uh, of course, stories of, uh, you know, growing into adult and finding myself and uh, finding my optimal mindset and, uh, you know, training regimens. And I try and share it throughout the book with everyone so that they could find their success and also remind people as well that, um, you know, whatever it is that we're chasing, whatever goals it is, we could synchronize these goals uh, to uplift the people around us in our environment. And uh, I think that's, that's a big part of, of my personal, personal, uh, strategy when chasing goals is, you know, throughout the process and preparation, make sure to make decisions that are not only benefiting myself, but also helping to uplift the people around me and the environment. And I think when you start to do selfless actions, when you start to incorporate gratitude into your life mixed with selfless actions, it's amazing, you know, the windows of opportunity that, that pop up. And uh, it could just be uh, a mental satisfaction. Um, but, man, when you manifest your goals and when you practice the attitude of gratitude and when you, uh, you know, put yourself out there to share selfless actions, and uh, the, this, the world, the world works in special ways. And, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these, uh, life lessons that I share in the book are, are directly from my, my family and specifically, specifically handed down from my grandmother because, uh, this book started because of her when she was, uh, on, on, she was on hospice and in her last, uh, you know, months of life. And I was able to spend a lot of time with her working on this book. And we circled journal pages together and, and found exciting pages, exciting stories to share. And, you know, she, she, she made me promise her that I would share my stories with. Yeah. My, my grandma made me pr uh, promise to share my stories with the world. And, uh, it was very much so a family project that we got to, you know, bring about with the collaboration of my, my auntie, mom and, and grandma you know, when my grandma was going through her, her last months of life. And, uh, I think a lot of the family values and, and, and regimens that I've incorporated into my life that have helped me to create my way of success. I try and share with the readers so that they could also, you know, live life to the fullest and, and create their own way of success. And, uh, yeah, man, it's, uh, I never thought I'd be a, a published author. And uh, it's amazing how much support I've received from all over the world uh, on this book. And, you know, um, it's, it's, it's given me the opportunity to speak at a variety of schools around the world, sharing with kids and, and as well opened up a, a new exciting part of my life, which is uh, storytelling and, and having the opportunity to do public speaking engagements. And, and man, if I've been really enjoying uh, being able to help other people accomplish their dreams and help other people live life to the fullest with the attitude of gratitude and with, you know, um, other practices that have helped me and that I owe credit to. So, uh, man, big mahal to everyone who's, who's out there listening and have interest in the book and interest in, 
in uh, this podcast because when you guys are stoked, it fires us up. And, and uh, yeah, I hope I can have the opportunity to share some books with you guys as well. And you yeah, can pick was... up a copy at com or on Amazon uh, if you search Zane Schweitzer beneath the surface. Amazing, Zane. This has been an incredibly fun podcast. It's been really good catching up, man. Been too long. We got to do this more often. Uh, and thank you for being so gracious with your time. Oh, of course, man. I really enjoyed talking with you, Eric. And thanks for finding me as a good fit to be involved in the Foil podcast. And for anybody out there looking for more tips and tricks or support, feel free to hit me up on Instagram at Zaniac1. Or uh, join in on our, our newsletters, which you could join on my website. And uh, we do online coaching and also in-person private coaching. So hopefully we have a chance to, to take flight together. All right, Zane. Thanks, man. All right, Eric. Have a great day. Hello from Maui. <laughs>